0: So the world seems to be cratering in on us from all directions, doesn't it? Just as we are emerging from a relentless global pandemic that has left millions dead and disrupted lives everywhere, we now face another menacing peril, the madness of war in Ukraine. And not just any war, but one that threatens to explode into something much greater. I am generally not a person given to apocalyptic thinking, and yet, I confess, these times are making me wonder. In the midst of all this chaos and uncertainty, what is a faithful person to do? Our gospel text this morning gives a very straightforward answer to that question. Luke takes us to the mountaintop to pray. Because it is there on the mountaintop in prayer with Jesus that we are given a glimpse of an abiding and unshakable truth that the darkness of this world will ultimately give way to the glorious light of God in Christ. And that in the end, the Prince of Peace stands alone as Lord of all, having rendered impotent all the cruelty and violence this world has to offer. Every year, at the end of Epiphany season and before we begin Lent, The assigned gospel text is this transfiguration story. It is a text that invites us to look both backward and forward, as if we are in fact standing on a mountaintop with Jesus, glancing back whence we have come and looking ahead to what is to be. The story looks to the past by connecting Jesus to the two great figures of the Old Testament, Moses, the lawgiver, and Elijah, the prophetic forerunner of the Messiah. Their appearance with Jesus in this vision tells us that yes, Jesus' life is in continuity with the law and the prophets. Jesus is fulfilling the work God started in Moses, and he is responding to the clarion call of Elijah for a Messiah. But the Transfiguration story also looks forward to the cross and beyond. Notice the parallels between the Transfiguration and the Crucifixion. In the Transfiguration, Jesus' clothes shine with the glory of God. At the Crucifixion, the soldiers cynically tear at his tattered garments. In the Transfiguration, Jesus is surrounded by Moses and Elijah. At the cross, he is flanked by two criminals. In the Transfiguration, God himself claims Jesus as his beloved son. At the crucifixion, his detractors mock him, insisting this title cannot possibly be true. At the end of the Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah have departed leaving Jesus to stand in singular glory. At the end of the crucifixion, Jesus dies in humiliation, abandoned by his followers, while the crowds stand around waiting to see whether Elijah will come to save him. And in both stories, there are three witnesses. In the transfiguration, the witnesses are men, Peter, James, and John. At the crucifixion, They are women, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, and Salome, the mother of James and John. In these ways, the transfiguration thus foreshadows for the bewildered disciples that God has a glorious and mysterious response to the ignominy of the world nailing his son to the cross. As Rowan Williams once observed, we live as Christians in the deep tension between these two powerful scenes, the vision of the suffering Jesus on the cross, seemingly abandoned by God on the one hand, and the vision of the glorified Jesus on the mountaintop, beloved and forever affirmed by God on the other. The Transfiguration story's power lies not in giving us answers to life's vexing questions, but rather by offering us a vision of our destiny. Too often we moderns, overly confident in the powers of our reasoning, insist on explaining everything. We want explanations to our problems. And yet, What biblical scenes like the Transfiguration teach us is that mystery ultimately lies at the heart of the universe, and that to try to reduce God to logic and language is to trivialize the great distance between the creator of all things and our own small, small stature. This is put beautifully by the Eastern Orthodox theologian Callisto Ware. He puts it this way. It is not the task of Christianity to provide easy answers to every question, but rather to make us progressively more and more aware of a mystery. God is not so much the object of our knowledge as the cause of our one. To encounter the transfiguration is thus a bit like standing before a Rembrandt. Like a painting of a master, the story invites us to just quietly observe the dazzling reality of God's life in Christ, to gaze at it slowly, noticing its subtle and radiant complexity, allowing all of its beautiful detail to wash over us. The full richness of God's truth in Christ comes to us not immediately in some tidy explanation, but rather over the course of a human life that welcomes this transfiguring reality into its own. The truth of the transfiguration becomes apparent to us only when we permit Christ's light to illumine the rhythm of our daily life. In all the small but holy moments of human connection, meaningful work, devoted service, sacrificial love, playful creativity, and prayerful attention to this magical world of ours. Now, like Peter, I'm sure that most of us would prefer to stay with the glorified Jesus on the mountaintop. It is good to be here, says a giddy Peter to Jesus, as he offers to build houses, somewhat comically, there on the mountaintop for Jesus and his friends. Peter gives voice to our deep desire. He wants to preserve that moment of splendor with Jesus forever, to bask in it and to block out all this talk of suffering and serving and bearing one's cross. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if we too could just stay with Jesus and escape all the dangers of war and conflict and human cruelty? But that is not God's way. No sooner has Peter finished talking about his wish to hold Jesus captive on the mountaintop, then a great cloud overshadows the disciples, out of which comes the Father's voice. This is my son, my chosen, listen to him. Speechless and terrified, overcome by the majesty and mystery of the Father's sudden appearance, the disciples fall silent. They don't know whether to be afraid for their lives, or ecstatic at the wonder of it all. But as Jesus is to show them, they are called not to withdraw to the safety of a mountaintop retreat, but rather to follow Jesus down the mountain, back into the woundedness of the world, toward Golgotha. In this way, the Transfiguration is a perfect text for making the transition from Epiphany to Lent. For it equips us to follow Jesus toward the cross by first assuring us that even in the midst of this warring world, God is always with us in the radiant glory of his Son. Now, the secular cynics may mock us, saying that nothing could be more foolish than to pick up a cross and follow a prince of peace. A life spent protecting the vulnerable, soothing the sick, welcoming the stranger, sharing bread with the hungry, and denying oneself may seem like a squandered life in the economy of our narcissistic age. But in the divine economy, such a life is a precious and beautiful thing. Suffering on behalf of others may appear to the world to be pouring one's life down the bottomless drain of human need. But in the kingdom, this is what being a beloved child of the light looks like. Now one of the gifts of the upcoming season of Lent is that it invites us to stop, to reflect, And to ask ourselves the hard question whether we are being truly attentive to the transfiguring work of Christ in our lives. And as we prepare our hearts for this Lenten journey, this is the prayer I offer us. Pray with me, Lord Jesus. Pull back the veil of ignorance and unbelief that blinds us to your glorious truth. Dispel our fears. Raise us up out of despair. And then send us back down the mountain to be your agents of transfiguring love so that through us you might heal all who are hurting. Bring peace to a violent world. Make whole all that is broken and renew the spirits of all who have lost hope. We pray these things for your love's sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.